Well, you all, I'm really glad that you're here today because, is this on? Are we good? Online service, glad you're here today as well. Uh, this is a special moment for us as a church because we get to ordain Shelley Mosteller into the ministry. Now, I'm going to ask our elders and Randy, our executive pastor, to come up on stage and kind of hang out over here on the side for a second. Um, if you don't know Shelly, she's been on staff with us for almost 20 years. And uh, so if you don't know her, then you haven't been here. All right, so that's, that, that's kind of part of this. Ordination for a pastor is kind of like passing the bar exam for a lawyer. All right, it's just like this. Okay, you've done everything you've needed to, to do to get to this place. Here's your degree. That, that's kind of, you go and practice law. Well, it doesn't quite work that way for us, but it's saying that Shelly has studied and work, worked and spent a lot of time with Jesus and that she has made this decision to dedicate her life, the rest of her life, to making an eternal difference for the kingdom of Jesus. Now, it, it's interesting because when, when you look at Shelly, I'm just going to ask her a couple of questions, but she's been living this out for most of her life. She's been pursuing ministry since she was in grade school, and uh, literally. And when you see that and you know who she is and you see her passions, this is almost a why hasn't this happened before kind of moment. Uh, Shelly, let me ask you again a question or two. Why do you want to be ordained to be set apart to be in ministry? Okay, he was no joke. I preached my first sermon when I was nine years old on the school playground. I don't know if anybody listened, but I think the ants got saved. So I'm just saying God has worked his call out in and through me since then, even when I didn't want him to. He just kept on. And I, I felt like after almost 20 years that it was finally time to just confirm that. Okay. Now, in case you don't know, Shelly has a Bible college education and then master's degrees on top of that. She, uh, she has been, again, serving here in ministry for, for around 20 years. She has a lot of, of just love and passion for Jesus. But let me just ask you this. Do you have any idea what you're really getting into? Yes, I yes, do. <laughs> very good. She does. And usually when we ordain someone, maybe they're a little bit, you know, fresh out of Bible college or new younger. to ministry. A little... I wasn't going there, but yeah, maybe a little younger. Um, but the, here's the deal with ministry. She's already lived through and she continues to live through the 3 a.m. phone calls. The working every holiday that most people get off that making half the salary of what your friends in the business world uh, are making, of people getting mad at you and hating you and leaving their faith because you bought the wrong flavor of ice cream. It happens. It's happened here. The wrong kind of noodles. And somebody got upset and left their faith because they were straight and they wanted curly. I don't know why, but it does happen like that. And so my question to you, are you ready to continue that in your faith journey? I am. Okay. Are, are you also ready for people to be, continue to be introduced to Jesus because of you? 
for you to make an eternal difference in someone's life or their family's lives. Are you ready to love God and love people beyond your personal feelings? Are you ready, just because people matter to God, are you ready to see them with God's eyes and to love them that way? People that are hurting, people that are lost, people that need a hand up, people that need to see Jesus. Are you ready to continue doing that in your life? I am okay. so ready. Shelly has always been Jesus' hands and feet. And today we're just setting her apart to say we support you and believe in you. And this is simply a piece of paper that says Shelly Mosteller is ordained. It doesn't change who she is or what she's doing. It just means that we're affirming her for that. I'm going to ask some of our leaders, Randy, Bob, Phil, uh, elders to come, and we're just going to lay hands on her. I'm going to ask you all, as we're praying for Shelly, will you pray for Shelly as we're going through this? And Phil, I'm going to ask you to start. Bob, I'm going to ask you to pray. Randy, I'm going to ask you just to keep your hands on her to hold her steady. This is Shelly's husband, by the way, Randy. And, uh, and then I'm going to end with a prayer. All right. Let's pray. Thank you for this time that we can come and bring Shelly up to you. We thank you so much for the ministry that she's been a part of. Our church has definitely been privileged to have her. And we ask that you watch over her, that the Holy Spirit direct her steps in the ministry that we do look forward to her having. In Jesus' name. Father God, we just thank you so much, as Phil said, that we have Shelly in our life. We thank you for the blessings that she's already given the community. But we thank you for the opportunity she's going to have before her. And we ask again that the Holy Spirit fills her and leads her in a direction that helps to fill the lives that will touch hers. And we know that you will be there. And we pray that Shelly will be able to withstand all the hardships that are going to come around because of that, but most of all the blessings. And we thank you for her in our life. In Jesus' name. Father God, today as we do this special, this special ceremony for Shelly, um, God, may you bring her some peace of knowing that she's okay, that she loves you, and she is serving you with her whole heart. And God, that that's what you created her for. May she hold on to that truth, because God, I see it being lived out in her life. And I am so honored and thankful that I get to do ministry alongside of her. God, provide so many years and opportunities for people to come to know you because of what she has committed herself to, for loving you, following you, serving you, and proclaiming you. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. How about a round of applause for Shelly? Love you guys. Thank you. Hey, Dad. Now that we got the fun part of the morning over and the really cool part of that, uh, are you learning anything through this Revelation series? Jamie, can I be turned up just a little bit on stage? I can't hear much up here. Thank you so much. Are you learning anything? If you've been tracking with us for a few weeks, we've started in Revelation 1. We're calling the series 
revelation. It's real unique, real, real creative here. But we're just going through an overview of the entire book. And, and we've been through some interesting stuff so far. And, and, and then this week, I got a phone call. And the person is going to remain anonymous. I'm not going to say their name. But they started in with this question. Said it isn't fair. That's, they didn't say hello. They just said it isn't fair. I'm listening. Okay. It isn't fair that you would give Joel chapters 6 through 11. You never do six chapters in one sermon. And you give Joel six chapters? Shouldn't something be done about that? And I just sat there and listened. I went, yes, something should be done with that. I agree. So next time Joel teaches, I'm giving him 10 chapters and not just six. We'll see how good he really is, you know, for that kind of a challenge. Now, he did a great job last week. We had to encompass that whole section of Revelation because of the seals and the trumpets. And he did a great job of unpacking all of that. This week, we're going to camp out on chapters 12 through 14. Just a few. It's good to be the boss. That's all I've got to say. Open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 12. These chapters are full of mystery and deception and violence. Kind of sounds like a good TV show, doesn't it? You want all those things in there. That's what Revelation is made up of. And honestly, these chapters are really difficult to unwrap. They just are. They're difficult to unwrap. And so because of that, I'm going to ask a question for each chapter and then try to answer those questions. All right? So track with me here. Chapter 12, the question is this. Why is there evil in the world? Basic question, right? Revelation 12.1. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Now, the woman represents Israel. We have to understand the, 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 the um, symbolism in these things. The woman represents Israel. The crown of 12 stars, those are the 12 tribes of Israel. And the baby she is about to give birth to is Jesus. That's who it is. All right? So, Revelation 12, 3. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. That's Satan. Hold on to that. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. And the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. Anybody have any idea what John's trying to describe here? You know what this is? Anybody? This is Christmas. That's what it is. It's Christmas. He's giving us the behind-the-scenes tour of the very first Christmas story. All right? Let me ask you, who's in the basic nativity set? By the way, I saw one this week. First one I've seen. You know why we have snow, right? 
because we've skipped Thanksgiving and moved Christmas to November. That's why we have snow right now. I saw that this morning. I loved it. But you look at this and the nativity scene that's taking place. Who's typically in the nativity scenes? Who's there? Yeah, Jesus, Mary, unless somebody stole baby Jesus, which happens in some of the outdoor scenes. Mary, Joseph, who else is there? Shepherds, wise men, angel, a few sheep, a donkey, a cow. I mean, those people are all typically in the, the, the average nativity scene. But do you know who we're missing in this Thanksgiving, this nativity scene? It's the red dragon that Revelation talks about. It's more like this picture. See the dragon on top of the, the, the manger there? That, that's, that's what's missing. You see everybody there, but this dragon is part of that birth scene in Revelation. And so when you look at that, in the cultural context, this red, red dragon is, is doing the thing that, that, um, that, that he was meant to do. He's, he's ready to kill, to destroy, to devour Jesus and the ministry that Jesus is getting ready to do. And in the cultural terms, you're looking at all the babies being killed, being slaughtered in Bethlehem. All right, that's, again, the king's order, Herod ordered all the babies be slaughtered. That's what it's referring to. And John is saying, don't miss the fact that Herod wasn't just a tyrant, but he's being used as an instrument of the dragon. So the dragon is using him to do his, his business, to do his bidding. And so John is taking us from the manger in Bethlehem, in this part of Revelation, all the way to the garden tomb in, in Jerusalem, which is birth through resurrection, Jesus' entire life. Verse 10, then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. So instead of Satan destroying the child, the child is destroying the work of Satan. It's interesting how you read through Revelation and see that. Verse 12, therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. So why is there evil in the world? Because we have an enemy who is active and powerful. And he's been defeated, and he's been cast out of heaven, and he's here on this earth, and he wants to inflict as much damage as he possibly can until his time's over. That's his whole purpose. He came to kill and destroy and steal, destroy everything that Jesus wants for your lives. That's his purpose. That's why Peter said, be self-controlled and alert. You know that your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's saying, we're in a spiritual battle. And this battle is between good and evil. All right? And that's happening all around us. It's between life and death, between heaven and hell. It's real and it's desperate and it matters more than any of us can ever imagine right now. The battle is happening all around us. He's saying, be ready 
Because whether you want to be at war or not, you are. The war's happening in your life, around your life, through your life, and through Satan trying to control your life. That's what's going on. Anybody else deal with spiritual battles? Anybody in here? here here's the deal with this. Every hand should go up. Because every single one of us are dealing with some type of a spiritual battle. How about this? What is it that tempts you? What are your temptations? We tend to come back to the same temptations, and Satan, I honestly believe, continues to use those to try to control us. What are your temptations? When you give in to that temptation, there are always consequences. Always. Some type, maybe it's a sexual sin. Maybe that's your temptation. Maybe it's honesty. Maybe it's integrity. Maybe it's cheating on your income tax just a little bit. Those temptations come at all of us. And for some of us, some of those are stronger than other temptations. Whatever it is, it's part of the spiritual battle that's going on inside of you, right? How about in your marriage? Any temptations there? I know from personal experience that the dragon, Satan, would like to destroy your families. That's part of his role in this world. And if he can destroy your family, what happens? He destroys you. He destroys your spouse. He destroys your kids because of the conflict that happens. He can destroy your future if he can simply destroy the family. How about your spiritual life? Any battles happening there? Let, let me just say this. If all you do is show up on a Sunday, and I am thankful that you're here. I think that's the first step to spiritual health, is showing up, is worshiping, connecting, contributing. I think those are the first steps in your spiritual life. But if all you do is show up to check off a box, Satan's already won. The dragon has you. Why? Because you're not really here for anything except to check the box off. It's so much deeper than that. You're no threat to him as long as you're just checking the box and not making an impact. Verse 17, then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast to their testimony about Jesus. Paul goes on to say this in Ephesians 6, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up your shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for the Lord's people. And that lead us, leads us into the second question of Revelation 13. How is your enemy at work? What's he doing? 
to be at work in our lives. 13.1, the dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns, seven heads, with ten crowns on its horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. Remember, the sea, we talked about this before, is something to be feared. It was scary. It was dangerous. And the people made their livelihoods on there, but they were afraid of it. And with a beast coming out of the sea, that means your entire life is going to be, be kind of in upheaval. It, it's not going to be okay. It's not going to be safe. It's a powerful scene. Look at these horns. Their power. The crowns represent power. The number 10 is power. Verse 2, the beast I saw resembled a leopard, but it had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. And the dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. Now, if you were a Christ follower and you heard about this in that day, your mind would have gone definitely to, to um, Daniel chapter 7. Daniel has a vision and in Daniel's vision, it's a lion and a bear and a leopard. And here's what we know from the book of Daniel. The lion equals Babylon. The, uh, the bear equals Persia. The leopard equals Greece. And why are those important? Because they're nasty, powerful nations that had all exploited the people of God. Every one of them. They had persecuted and exploited the people of God. And God takes those animals that represent evil and he shows them to John so John would understand how bad it's going to be. All right? So you're looking at that. You're going, okay, this is not going to be good. And when you think of things that represent evil, what do you think of? When you think of evil, what do you think of? The Steelers. I got it. I understand that. I represent the evil empire. Okay, I, I got that. What represents evil to you? Satan. What else represents evil to you in this world right now? What is it? Addiction. Absolutely. How about terrorism? How about, I don't know, how about Jason and the mask on the Halloween movies? That represents evil and death and murder. That's what it represents. How about Michigan football for some of us? That represents evil. If you're into Star Wars, it's Darth Vader. You think of the things that are evil, that cause destruction, that cause things not to go well. Those are some of those things. And so you're looking at that going, okay, if you take all of those and you put them in a blender, and you take that blender and blend everything up and dump that out, that's kind of what it looks like in this scenario, all the evil things represented by Satan. Everything that he's doing, everything that he's using to, uh, to cause destruction on his people. Now, when the people reading Revelation for the first time saw the beast that was oppressing God's people, they would have associated that beast, here's the first beast, with Rome. Because Rome was the evil empire. Rome was known all over the world for the destruction that it was causing and oppressing the people. And they kind of threw out justice and did what they wanted to do. Remember, we talked about the Colosseum. We, we talked about the hundreds of thousands of people that, that were there that ha had been just killed and been thrown to the lions and been 
killed by the gladiators and, and some of those kinds of things. When, when you look at that and you see what's happening there, that's who Rome equaled. So how is our enemy at work? Let me give you some historical examples. Joseph Stalin, remember Stalin? He killed 60 million people in Russia. Now that's being used by the beast, right? The beast is using him to destroy. Mao kills 40 million people in China. The beast is at work in Mao's life. Hitler killed 17 million people and over 6 million Jews. That's the beast at work right there. So you see that and you're going, okay, over the last century, over 200 million people were either murdered or killed, and at least 120 million of those were from their own governments. The beast in Revelation 13 is at work. That's what's going on right here. And so you see that and you're going, okay, well, I, I kind of get that. John is saying, don't be fooled. These godless governments, they're not just misguided. They belong to the dragon. They belong to the beast. They're being used to do his work. That's what's taking place. Let me just ask, Shelly Mosteller, are you in here? Will you please come and help Chris get to the back and get ready for what's happening in just a few minutes? So I'm going to keep going with this. I think one of the hardest things when you study through this and see all the violence and the death is understanding that Christ followers are not safe from the destruction that's coming. Now, do you understand that, right? We're not safe from that. We're not free from persecution. We're not free from, from Satan's traps and his plans and his temptations. We're going to live through some of those things, and some of those things may actually take our lives. Look at uh, verse 9 and 10. Whoever has ears, let them hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword they're going to be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. He is telling us as Christ followers, as people who love and serve God, that we're going to face persecution and oppression and death from godless people. It's going to happen. Do you know that? Do you know that those things are going to happen, whether in your lifetime or the next, they're going to happen to Christ followers. In the early church, uh, Polycarp was one of the early fathers of the church, and he got brought before a Roman council, and they demanded that he renounce his faith. And he said this, I've served him 86 years, and he has been faithful to me. How could I now be unfaithful to him? 86 years of my life, I've been faithful. I'm not going to give that up now just because you're threatening me with death. And then you know what happened? They killed him. Exactly. They put him to death. But do you know what happened because of his death? The faith of Jesus Christ exploded with growth because of his faithfulness, because of the faithfulness of the people that were being persecuted and killed and destroyed. The church grew rapidly. You know, in China, the church still has to operate underground. You get that, right? Today, 2022, 
you cannot openly read the Bible in China. You can't do it. You can't worship openly in China. It's illegal. They will kill you for doing that. That's part of that culture. You're not allowed, but you're being persecuted for believing in Jesus. You know what happens right now, every day in China? Over 16,000 Chinese people are giving their lives to Jesus every single month. That's pretty impressive. It really is. So where the beast is trying to destroy Christ followers, it's working just the opposite. When you face persecution, Jesus Christ is just growing his kingdom. Now, we're not facing persecution here in the United States. I mean, there's a little bit of pushback on Christ followers. We're kind of not in the current of the center of the current culture. Things are kind of against us a little bit, but there's no persecution. But there will be someday. The question to you is, how are you going to respond and, and be part of this culture while the culture turns against you. Not only is there one beast in Revelation, but there's actually two. And most of us don't realize that. We get that there's one beast. We don't get that there's two beasts here. Revelation 13, 11. Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf, and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose fatal wound had been healed. And it performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of the people. Because of the signs it was giving power to perform on behalf of the first beast, it deceived the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. That number is 666. The second beast is used by Satan to get the worship and loyalty of the people, and he does it by putting a mark on them. And what's the number of the mark? 666. Is that scary? Does that bother you? Is that kind of like uh, Halloween, unknown, scary, evil kind of stuff? Yeah, it, it actually is. But what does the number 666 mean? Well, people have try, been trying to understand that for centuries. Is it Hitler? Is it Stalin? Is it Clinton? Is it Trump? Is it Obama? Is it Biden? Is it Oprah? Is it cancer? Is it Barney the dinosaur? Everybody wants to know who it is that represent, that's represented by the number 666. Listen, it can be fun to speculate and debate and argue over who the beast is and what they look like and what they're going to do to our culture and, and to the people. But listen, that's only us trying to figure things out. You can't claim someone is the beast when in fact you're taking a Bible scripture and twisting it into your own viewpoint. And I've seen and read books on people doing that my whole life. Well, this person is the beast. Why? Because they're evil, okay? 
Does that make them the beast? Or does that make them being used by the beast? Makes them being used by the beast. We don't know who the beast is. And the number 666, listen, here's what it is. It means that 666 is less than God's number of 777. So if you're afraid of 666, you're afraid of the wrong thing. You're worried about his power and authority and evil in your life instead of focusing on God's power and authority and good things in your life. God is greater than Satan is. God has more power than Satan is. God is in control and Satan is not. Now Satan can hurt you, he can kill you, he can destroy you, but he cannot destroy your faith if you simply trust in Jesus. He's not going to take you out. Deuteronomy 6 says this, These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. The Jewish community for thousands of years have been putting the law, the scripture, on their right hands and on their foreheads, which is where what? Where the beast wants you to put his number. Why? Because where whoever marks you controls you. Who are you marked by? Are you marked by God? Or are you marked by the dragon, by Satan? Who are you marked by? Remember Toy Story? Remember what he did to mark what was his? He wrote his name on the foot of Woody, Andy, marking that he belonged to Andy. When my kids were, were in high school, some of their friends got together. They went and got tattoos that said Andy on the heel, on their heels. Well, why did you do that? That's a lifetime kind of thing of belonging to Andy. I don't know. Anyway, they did it, but it's, it just kind of shows who you belong to. So when you're looking at, at what is written on your forehead and on your hand, it represents who controls your life. It tells you who owns it. Now, John is saying here that Satan wants to put his mark on you, and he doesn't want to microchip you, and he doesn't want to barcode you. He wants to control your heart. All right? Get the other stuff, the junk, out of your mind. And focus on who you are, what God wants for you, and how Satan wants to destroy you. Because that's what it's about. 666 is less than God's power of 777. So whose name is written on you? Whose is it? It's your choice. It's not like God's going to force you to put his name on you. It's not like Satan can force you to put his name on you. You get to decide, am I going to follow Jesus or am I not? And by the way, just simply by not following Jesus leaves you in the camp of Satan. Because he doesn't have to worry about you. And God says, I loved you so much that I sent my son to die for you, to stamp his name on you. Are you going to follow the lamb or not? It's the question that we have for you today. My prayer is that you'll follow and be marked by God. Father God, 
I pray for everyone in this room right now. God, I'm, I'm praying for people that need to find you, for people that are searching for you. God, for people that belong to you and they need to be reinvigorated to, to follow your plan for their lives. God, I just pray that we realize that Satan is powerful and he has power, but he doesn't have ultimate power. God, that you control that. That by simply following you, we're okay. I pray we can understand it. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen.